Okay, so we're going to look at Romans 12, and we're specifically going to look at verses 1 and 2 uh, of Romans 12. And uh, this is kind of, the truth is, this passage uh, is the basis of phase 2. Um, the idea of offering your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to him, is why we still have a phase 2. So in phase one, it is very much about uh, faith and development of faith and what we believe and fully uh, accepting and trusting uh, and living in obedience to him. But in phase two, it's really about what does it look like to live in obedience? And I think that this is kind of the foundation uh, of that. Um, uh, I found, I once heard it, it was, uh, it was actually Jeb. And uh, I thought it was so wise. I was like, yes, that is exactly what's happening here. Um, and he just said, Romans 1 through 11 is the gospel. It's Paul going, I'm going to give you everything I got on the gospel. I'm going to make it as deep as possible. Tons of theology, big words, things that chapters that people still don't understand fully because they're so intense and, and, and deep. Um, and then in verse 1 of chapter 12, he starts with, therefore. And it's the switch. It's the, it's the hinge point of the entire book where he moves from what is the gospel to and what, is, what do we do now? Because of that gospel, what do we do now? Um, and so that's why it's kind of our foundation um, for the whole year because that's really what phase 2 is about is what do we do now? Um, as we move forward in phase two, I thought it was probably a good moment to give you a little bit of a word of caution. Um, not because I think you guys are going to do this, but just, I want to make sure it's said so that we're on the same page. We can kind of keep it in the back of our mind. Um, we're going to go into more specific topics from this point out. Okay. So we're going to hit things like marriage. We're going to hit things like sexuality. We're going to hit uh, even like our callings at the end of the year, we're going to talk about like, how do you discern your calling? What is a calling? And what do we, should we mean by that? And we're going to get very specific on the daily life sort of stuff um, for us. What happens in those moments is that it can all of a sudden turn into uh, this idea that phase at the end of phase two, that we hope that we can get to a spot where we can work on each of these areas or how, how do we make each of these better? It's not actually the goal of phase two. It's not actually the goal of why we're going to be going into these individual topics. Of course, you might need to work on each and one of those topics and you might need to uh, submit them to the Lord and, um, and actually uh, learn how to live a godly version of those things. That, that might be true. Um, but I think in, instead of that, we want you to remember that God has already done it for you. So at the basis of all of these things, we're actually just calling you into who you already are. Okay. This is that the reality of, for example, cause it's coming up um, in just a couple of weeks, um, godly sexuality. It's going to be kind of our first, like on a topic that we're going to hit. God has already given you a godly sexuality. What we're teaching you is how do you actually live into that reality? So it's already yours. So then by faith, we can receive it. 
but it does mean that there's an action involved on our part. We have to take part in it. We have to actually participate properly with the Lord in it. And so the whole point of the rest of the year is not just to be about the individual topics, but be about a consistent learning on how to participate with who we truly are in Christ. Okay, so that's been, we've been doing that all along, but we've been trying to hit some big overarching um, things to help give some foundation for that. So image bearing, manhood, womanhood, uh, priesthood of all believers, and then the virtues are meant to be like a foundation for that. Now, by going into the individual classes, um, I just want us to remember God's done it. It's already yours. And now it's just about participating in what is yours in Christ. Make sense? It's just a little bit of a, it's a slight difference from um, now I need to work hard to make sure I'm godly in these areas. You do. You do actually need to work at it. I'm not saying that, that you don't have to work at it. I'm saying that the point isn't you working at it. The point is living out who you already are. Okay. Um, <clears throat> Okay, well, let's just jump into the text. That'll probably be the easiest thing to move from here. Uh, so let's just do a reading of verse one and two, and then we're going to kind of pull it apart a little bit and look at it more thoroughly. Um, verse one says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Amen. So as we talked about leading up to this point, we've seen Paul give an in-depth study on the gospel as a whole. He's really giving the Romans his, the fullness of his theology. Um, and now Paul is answering the question, what do I do with the gospel? So I've received it. I have faith. I'm there. What do I do with it? How do I respond? How do I answer? Um, this is his like gut response to it. And there's this moment where he starts with this kind of, so he says, therefore brothers, by the mercies of God. Okay. So Therefore, according to the gospel, by the mercies of God, meaning that you, the reason that I gave you that little warning at the beginning is because Paul gives that warning. It's all by the mercies of God that this happens. Present your bodies. This is an important statement because it is something that to us can sound ordinary or it can sound really basic because we've heard language like this. It's Christianese language, right? That we present ourselves to the Lord or whatever else um, you might tie to that. It doesn't sound totally strange to us or to our understanding of faith, but to those who would have heard it when Paul said it originally in those years, the idea of presenting ourselves to God is actually a very strange thing. 
And especially when you say presenting your bodies. This is actually a counter-cultural uh, abnormal phrase for a Greek or a Jewish person in the Greek culture. Um, a Greek person or a, or a person trained in, um, in Greco-Roman ways would have never said this. The idea of presenting your bodies to a deity was foreign. It was, you might present your bodies for the sake of like uh, human sacrifice, for example. But that's actually where Paul is taking this and flipping it on its, flipping it on its head. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice. So the only time they would bring a human body to a deity was as a sacrifice, meaning death, spilling of blood. He's saying present yourself, not someone bringing you to, but present yourself to God, your actual physical body before Yahweh. See, for a Greek, what mattered most was the spirit. The idea of the spirit is that it was um, of, of the utmost consequence and that our bodies were inconsequential. They didn't matter at all. They would even say, or go as far as to say, that the body was no more valuable than a prison or a shackle. It only imprisoned the spirit or the soul. Now, the language of soul is actually really important to this understanding, because in Greek understanding, the soul was a part of you, but it was a separate part of you. And when you die, it is released now to be fully free. So the idea of, we actually just got into this in phase one randomly, which had nothing to do with this specific thing, but we got into it. The idea is that you were kind of a, uh, um, a two being person. Okay. So you had the spiritual side and then you had the physical And what would happen is when your body died, they would burn, imagine that's fire, burn the physical to release the spiritual out of you. So the idea of cremation, for example, actually comes out of pagan practice of how do you release the soul or the spirit to its ultimate good end. It was not actually, it was anti-Christian to cremate someone or to burn their body in, in ancient times, because it was a sign that you believed that the spirit was actually the only thing of importance. Whereas Christians said, no, human bodies were formed out of the dust. So we return them back to the dust in which they were created. And when they, de they decay, they will be in the dust and God can remake them in the same way he made us in, in our original purpose, in our original time. Make sense? So the burying of a Christian was very, very important. The burning of pagan religions was very, very important. They were two very separate things. They did not coincide with one another. So when we talk about a soul or the spirit in Greek times, we talk about the important thing, whereas the physical was the unimportant. So... Uh, so what happens when I'm buried to kind of 
Yeah, as far as we can understand it, there is different parts of us. So some people believe that there are three parts to us, spirit, soul, and body. Some people believe it's just two, that spirit and soul are technically the same thing. And then we have a physical nature as well. Um, no matter what you believe, it is true that there is a part of you that still continues to live when your body dies and that you would be in heavenly places with the Lord. That's true. But we have to also read in the whole story, which is to remember that's not God's good news. The good news is resurrection. So embodied eternally is the good news. A disembodied state is not good news. It's not actually the human reality. So that, that sort of stuff, that's actually Gnostic thought. And it is this disembodiment, right? And so, and it's everywhere. And, and Christianity really jumped on that. And this whole idea of, I want to, I want to be in heavenly places. And I want to do like this idea of the other is better. That's just not Christian. That's not God's. That's actually not what God's saying. He, is it good? Is it good for someone to stop suffering physically and to uh, be with him in heaven? Is that good? Yes. Is it the good? Like, as in like the ultimate good? No. The ultimate good is when he brings you back to your physical body and you are one completely as you were always meant to be without sin. That's the good that he intends in the end. So new heaven, new earth are brought together as one. And so are we recreated up with Christ. Make sense? So this is a Greek way of thinking or Greco-Roman, thinking of soul, spirit, and body. And so when we talk about worship and we talk about the way that we interact with the Lord, never would these people have ever said that. Because God, the gods do not care about your physical being. The physical was evil. The spiritual was good which is actually not a Christian message. <clears throat> the Christian believes, according to the scriptures, that his or her body belongs to God just as much as his or her soul does, and that we, he or she, can serve God just as well with our bodies as we can with our minds, with our hearts, or with our spirit. The question we have to ask ourselves, because Paul is pointing us in this direction, we have to ask ourselves, do we believe that? Have we functioned and lived as if the body is just as much responsible for the worship and service of God as our spirits, our souls, and our hearts are? So any teaching that has said to you, That one of those is more important and more godly than the other is actually not Christian teaching. 
they do different things and they're all engaged in different ways. But notice how God actually condemns people that don't with their bodies. Uh, think of the sacrifices and covenant being made. That's a physical thing that happens. God almost kills Moses because he hasn't brought his son into this covenant like he's meant to. That's a big deal. He didn't do the physical thing for worship that he was meant to do. <coughs> On the other side, God says to the people of Israel, yeah, you kept all the sacrifices and your heart wasn't in it. Didn't mean anything. God isn't confused. He's not sending two messages. You are all of it. And so he wants all of it. It's actually a really simple message and we've confused it. He wants all of us really simply every part of us. The body can't be separated from the heart and we can't lower the action of our bodies as if it's something lesser than. We can't act as if the things that we do aren't important to God. It's not true. It actually is all meant to be held together. 1 Corinthians 6.19 says that the body, and it's explicitly talking about the physical, that the body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Our physical bodies. The Holy Spirit dwells in us our physical bodies. That's a little hard to understand, but that's what the Bible teaches us. First Corinthians 3.16 says very much the same thing. The body is the place the Holy Spirit dwells. First Corinthians 12.8 through 10 and Romans 12.6 through 8. This is where it's talking about the spiritual gifts. All of the spiritual gifts Explain to us, all of them are saying the same thing, that your bodies are an instrument through which the Holy Spirit works, your physical bodies. All of those spiritual gifts are something that you have to actually use your body for. It's just something that it, it just can't be separated, it can't be pulled apart. It's never the picture that the Spirit or that the Scripture is giving us. God himself in the incarnation did not believe that the body was a lower state of righteousness than the rest of his creation. He took on a body and lived in it to teach us that through it, we can also live out the goodness of God through action in our bodies. In the same way, Paul is not trying to lift the body higher than the mind or the heart, but is trying to give us a holistic view of the Christian life. Every part of us is received by God, and thus every part of us is meant for worship. What Paul's saying is, take your body, take all the tasks that you do with your physical body every single day, Take the ordinary work that you do at your workplace, at the office, at the shop. 
Take the stuff that you do physically in your truck or in your car, in your house, on the street, in the hospital. Take your time at home with your family, with your husband or wife. Take your time alone. Take your time with only God around. Take it all and offer all of it as a gift of worship to God. The, the, the understanding that Paul's giving us is that at the end of every day, we should be able to say, here's everything I did today. That was for you. I did that for you. Everything. I think that we, sometimes we do it without knowing it or meaning to. We kind of pull a few pieces out. <laughs> That, that one, I didn't do that one for God. We'll just pretend that one wasn't there. God, I gave you everything. Or we say, God, I give you everything. And what we're talking about was worship time at church. And when we were doing our devotions. And when we were praying that time. Give you everything, God. We don't often think about the fight we got in, uh, God we had with a coworker or it's just you two always fighting, you know, so I just thought I'd throw it out there. Just kidding. <laughs> or how we felt when someone almost hit us in our car or what happened when someone judged me and talked about me very rudely and all the things I thought of and said in my own head and heart, or maybe said out loud to others about them. We don't, we don't think about those things when we talk about we're going to give them everything. But he wants everything. And I, I, we're right to say, well, those aren't really worship. We don't really want to give him that. We're right to say that. It isn't. But he wants everything. Repentance, yeah. Yeah, because it's supposed to bring us to a spot where we can say, God, I give you everything. And some of this I'm going to have to repent for. So I got to give it to you so you can take it from me. I want that. And I know that wasn't for you. And everything else is worship. But the reality is there isn't actually an in-between. It's, it's either godly and for God or it's not. And that doesn't mean we always have to think of God in every moment and that's what makes it godly or for God. It means, is it his way? Is it what he wanted? Word in... in verse one that's translated worship at other times in the new testament the exact same word is translated as service the etymology of this word is actually pretty interesting originally the word meant to work for hire or pay that's what the word worship that they use for worship in the bible meant originally to work for hire or pay it was used specifically for laborers who gave their strength to an employer for payment it does not mean any sort of slavery but is specifically talking about the voluntary undertaking of work 
Then it took on a couple other meanings that are directly related, which is to serve or to dedicate one's life to. So to serve someone or something or to dedicate one's life to someone or something. Over time, the word was used in regards to spiritual functions and took on the meaning of the service of the gods. But in the Bible, when it's used, it, is ne it never means service done for other humans. This is what's really interesting about it. It is always used of service to and worship of God. So even when it's translated of service instead, and it's used in a circumstance when there's other people involved, like you're serving other people, the actual meaning of the word is always saying that's actually service of God. By serving that person, you're serving God. It ties it together in the actual meaning of the word. So we, we usually have to think through that, right? Like we're, we're thinking, okay, yeah, I can see where worship and service are connected. And I can see how when we serve others, it is an act unto God too. The actual word itself means that which I found really interesting because it actually drives the whole thing forward. That if we know what it actually means, what the Bible is actually saying, that we would realize whatever we do, even if it's for another person, even if it's at work, even if it's for people in our family or for strangers or for anything, it is intended for God ultimately. You're not intended to be doing it just for that person. Nothing that you do is actually intended to be only for one other person or only for yourself or any of those things. It's always something that's meant to be for God. Paul is saying that true and real worship is the offering of one's body, right? Present your bodies. So the offering of one's body and all that one does every day with it to God. Paul's telling the Roman church that elaborate pr prayers, intricate liturgies, or exciting songs, or working in church ministry is not what true worship consists of. Real, true worship is offering every day and everything that you do in that day to God. It's not something that happens within the church. Real worship is something that is happening in the whole world and which every, sorry, in which the church is part of. So what we do at church, I believe is the climax of worship. It's the highest point of worship. And then the Lord's table is the highest point of that. But it's not all of it. It's not even close to the whole picture. Real worship is when you see the whole world as a temple, a temple of the living God, and that every common deed is an act of worship within that temple. That was the funniest way I've ever seen someone grab a pen in my entire life. You were, you had like locked me like eyes, eye contact. You were like reaching across the table with like deep, intense thought. I was like, I don't know what's happening. He's throwing it at me or he's writing down a good thought, but that was just, 
we said like intimate eye contact there for a moment. I wasn't sure what to do with it. Thought I brought bring everyone else into it. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> it wouldn't be out of his character to throw it at you. So. <laughs> <laughs> I had a. There has been things damaged at work. <laughs> I had a. The first time I ever met Amos Martell is one of the funniest moments of my life because it was long, long, long before anything to do with Via or Lethbridge or anything. Neither of us lived here and we were both teenagers. And a friend of mine who was very intense prayer person, teenager also, and a friend of his was, who was also a very intense prayer person, decided let's all go and pray together and so at this like conference we're all in this room praying together and his his friend's name uh well maybe i'll leave it out anyways his friend is like super intense when he's praying but he won't close his eyes so he looks like he's like 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 i can't even do what he does like i can't make my face look as intense as he looks every time he prays and he would just like look at every person like so intensely. And so the first time I, we were praying and I looked up and he's looking right at me. I'm like, oh my gosh. And I was like, <laughs> what is happening? And just felt like so uncomfortable. And then, and then later I looked up again and he's still looking at me. And I thought at that point, I'm like, like, this is really uncomfortable for me. Why is he staring at me so intensely? And then I found out he hadn't been, he's just looking all over the place. And as I got to know him, I realized how he functions, but Every time I looked up, like three or four times in a row, he was looking at me like directly in the eyes. Like it was just like, and so intense. I thought, I'm never going to pray with this man ever again. This is very uncomfortable. But that was reminded me. Yeah, reminded me. <clears throat> Amos doesn't remember that though. He was like, that sounds like him, but I don't remember that uh, time. Okay, back to the class. Uh, if you can think back to our class on priesthood of all believers, we talked about the Old Testament priesthood there. Uh, in the Old Testament, the priests carried out the ministry of the temple. Then we looked at the priesthood of all believers, and we saw that our priesthood is about being a priest in the world because God is looking to have his whole creation be his temple. God wants the cosmos as his temple, just as he intended it in the very beginning. This is actually meant to be a major worldview shift for us, but it's supposed to be a wonderful one. The idea of us saying, if we have this worldview, the idea of us saying, I'm going to go to worship at the church, shouldn't actually be the only time we consider or think about or talk about worshiping. We should be talking about the fact that we go to the shop, the office, school, the garage, the hospital, our living room, our bedroom, wherever it might be to worship. That actually every action is meant to be an action of worship. This isn't easy. It's not as simple as just like flipping a switch and all of a sudden we consider everything as worship now. But allow there to be a process. Let it take time. Don't give up. Don't stop. Keep seeking the Lord for his view of your work. 
for his view of what health looks like, for his view of what sex is supposed to be like, for his view of your finances, for his view of marriage, for his view of singleness, for his view of everything that you do day in and day out. When we consistently come to the Lord and ask him for his view of what each of these things will do, it will take time. But over time, we will begin to see every day as an act of worship, and it will radically change the way we view our, our everyday lives. Paul goes on to tell us not to be conformed to the world's culture, but we must be transformed by it. Sorry, transformed from it. We must be different. We must be set apart. We must be countercultural to the world. The words that Paul uses when he speaks about not conforming to the world, but being transformed from the world, uh, are difficult Greek words. But if we break them down, they tell us a ton about what Paul is calling the church to in this passage. The first one is conformed. At its root, this word is speaking about the outward form of a man, human. What we mean by that is what people can see. Like we're not trying to be existential here. We actually mean just your physical outward appearance, what people see when they look at you. So this could be speaking about the clothes that you wear or even your actual flesh, your skin. A person doesn't look the same at 75 as they did at 17. We know that they've aged. They may have gray hair or something that shows that over time they have matured. This can also be an expression speaking about actions or language as well. Your voice changes or our ability to um, do things physically changes over time. We may not be able to do everything we once could or vice versa. As we grow up, we're able to do things physically we couldn't when we were little. All of this, this outward form, this outward man is wrapped up in this one word. It's talking about all of it. So when Paul is telling the Christian not to be conformed to the world, he's telling them not to act, look, or sound like the world. If we put it in context of the desires of our heart, this verse is telling us that we shouldn't want to look like the world. We shouldn't want what the world wants. Our actions should not be the same as the rest of the world. Our language is not meant to sound like the language that the world uses. We should desire to be seen, heard, and felt as set apart or different. This is a challenging one because it doesn't exactly look the same for everybody, what that means. 
This isn't wear, about wearing a certain type of clothes that all Christians should wear that would then set them apart. But it's actually not saying that that's wrong either. It's not about saying specific words that the world um, doesn't use. So we have our own language specifically just for Christians that no other person uses. It's not saying that, but it's also not really saying that that's a bad thing either. This idea of Christianese language that we try and get away from. It can be really unhelpful, but it's actually not saying that it's bad either. It's not inherently wrong. Paul is saying, specifically he's saying, to not desire or to not naively allow the world to make you just like them. That's what being conformed to the world is. Is when you allow, naively, or you desire, for the world to make you just like them. Christians are actually supposed to stand out in a crowd. Somehow. We aren't meant to decide or to allow the world to decide what we look like. To put a question on you in the midst of that, really simple. Do you? Do you allow the world to decide what you look like, what you sound like, the way you act? If you're a parent, who tells you the best way to raise your kids? Is it the world or is it God? For all of us, who tells you what the best way to dress is? Who tells you what the best body shape to have is? Who tells you the best way to spend your money? Who tells you the way you're meant to understand the human form or the human mind? Does God inform you in these things or does the world inform you? Because I think more times than we realize and more times than we want to admit, even if we don't desire it, we are naively allowing the world to mold us, to shape us. Can the world tell based on your outward man, the outward part of you, the way you look, the way you sound, your actions, that you're a Christian? Somehow Paul's expecting the world to be able to tell. That's a challenge. Because everything that I've been told my whole life is that Christians or people that are religious that look different are weirdos and we shouldn't be like them. And Paul is saying the opposite. He's saying your outward form, the actual person people see in your circumstance, in your everyday life should stand out as different. And even if they can't put their finger on why it's different, they should at very least be thinking something's different. 
Paul does this all the time in his letters. So when he talks about the way that men should not have long hair, women must do these things with their hair. Why is he doing that? Because in their culture, it makes them stand out as different. They're not like everyone else that way. The world is telling us, though, that we should look more like the world and act more like the world and sound more like the world, and then the world will be attracted enough to Jesus to come. That is the opposite of what Paul is saying here. The opposite. That's a challenge to me because I don't, I don't actually really care about like clothes and things like that. You can probably tell. I don't care about that stuff, but it is still a challenge. Someone should be able to hear me speak and know that I'm different. The reality was there was, there was a time. Now, I, I, I've worked in the church for a long time now, so it's probably, probably people hear me speak and go, he's a Christian, obviously. Because <laughs> I just, that, that is because I've worked in ministry for this long. But there was a time when I was a young Christian, young person, when I first got out on my own, I remember going and working with friends I was managing the sporting goods store. It was just an everyday job just to pay the bills and so I could have lots of fun and not really have a job that mattered. That was honestly what it seemed like to me overall. But very quickly I realized that's just not who I am and I'm going to put my whole self into this work. And very quickly I became management at this tiny little store that didn't really matter. But I was like, just, just because I thought well, God would want me to do my best. So I'm going to pour into it. But the Lord was so on me at that point, and my relationship with him was, such a, was in such a, a state that I remember constantly being asked by my coworkers, what's wrong with you? But they didn't mean it rudely or mean. They actually were like, no, I actually just don't understand you. And so it started with simple things like they noticed I wasn't swearing all the time. And it was, it was that simple. It really wasn't like I was perfect and I said these beautiful, wonderful things. I just didn't swear all the time. Certain jokes I didn't tell. One of my friends hated me for it. So angry because I thought I was better than him. And I kept going, oh, no, no, I am not better than you. I'm, I'm, I'm sin, like, I, I know my stuff. I'm not better than you. The rest of them were like, no, I need to understand what's going on with you. Like something's really somewhat attractive, but also kind of throwing me off. I don't like it all at the same time. And then they found out I didn't live with Sarah. They were dating at the time. And then it was like, whoa, 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 whoa. What is wrong with you? It's like, I just don't think we should live together until we're married. And they're like, what do you mean? That's the dumbest thing. Why would you do that? And I, I realized it wasn't, I wasn't not living with her because I made a conscious choice about it. Like I can tell you, honestly, it wasn't like I was being really holy and just made this conscious choice. I'm not going to do that. We just, we did it. And we probably wouldn't have if we had to make a conscious choice, but we just, we weren't. But I realized in that moment, these basic things in my life were making me stand out so drastically from everyone else. Drastically. I couldn't, I was blown away. I remember like there was, it wasn't just people I worked with. It was customers. People that were, that were trying to like intimidate me or try and like do things like that. And I would just come in low and go, oh, I'm really sorry. Yeah. And not, it wasn't, I didn't respond with anger or respond. And I remember them coming back and going, 
I'm really sorry. You responded really well to that. And I just don't understand why you were so nice to me. And I was just such a jerk. Actually, I had customers do that. And I'm like, why are you? Uh, I don't know. I just think I was trying to be nice to you. I think that's what the Lord would have done. Oh, you're a Christian. Like it would be stuff like that, right? They're like, oh, that's why you're one of those weirdos. That was kind of how the response was. That's not been my whole life. That, there was a time where it was like that in one place. But I realized because I felt that at one moment, I, when I read this and I study this, I go, oh, do I still have that? That was, in, that was, that was an innocent time for me. I, I, was, I was like a little kid in that way with the Lord. I didn't really think much of it. I didn't have to make the decisions. I just did. And that's what came out of me. And this is what it looked like. I looked different. I sounded different. I acted different. There was an innocence in me. I don't know that I have the same innocence. Hopefully I'd make the right choices still, but I, somehow, some way, are we out in the world interacting with people and they go, something's different about that person. The next word is transformed. When we look at this word in its original form, we see that Paul is actually now talking about the inward man. This is the part that is essentially unchanging in us. And what I mean by that is no matter what we sound like, no matter what we look like, no matter what's going on on the outside, the inward part of us is insane. So no matter what you're wearing, you wear one thing one day, something totally different another day, it's still the same you. What Paul's saying here is that we must not allow ourselves, nor should we be striving for change on the outside, but we should be open to and seeking for change on the inside. That God will transform the inner man, the part of us that we cannot change ourselves, in order that we can truly worship him in everything that we do. So what, he's, what ultimately Paul is saying, and we can read the text again. Do not be conformed to the things of this world or to this world. Okay? So out, don't let the outer part of who you are look, sound, and act like the world. That's what he's saying. But be transformed by the renewal of your mind. So he's saying there's an inner part of you that has to be transformed. And that's what will allow your outer man to also be what it's meant to be, which will then allow you to be the person that can present your bodies to God as living worship. Make sense? It's kind of like a backwards. He's played it out. Present your bodies. Don't be conformed. Transformed. But what he's saying is it's through transformation of the inner man that you're who you are on the outer man will truly be who you're meant to be, which will then allow you to present your bodies to God as a living sacrifice. I'm fascinated how he continues though, when he says, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. 
that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. He starts here where he just says, if you want to be the person God is intending you to be, you have to be able to discern what is good and right. What are the things we just went through as a class? The virtues. What was that all about? Knowing what is good and right. Why did we study the virtues and then bring you to this? Because what he's saying is, is that transformation happens through virtuous living. In virtuous living, it will affect the way your outer man looks, acts, and speaks. And when your inner and outer man are as they're meant to be, presenting yourself to God as a living sacrifice is really enjoyable and fun process. Because he just gets to welcome you in and just go, yeah, I received that. When God has transformed us, we'll think differently about our lives. When our minds have been transformed and we can discern what is good and right, we will see and know the right path and the good path to walk. We will see where life is and where death is. We'll see that everything about us is spiritual and that everything is meant to be worship unto God. So if you're going, yeah, that is not even close to me. <laughs> that doesn't sound like me at all. That's how I feel when I study these things constantly. The benefit is you can't change your inner man. God does that. So you do it through virtuous living. I realize you participate in it, but it's God doing it. He's changing your inner man by you participating in what is good and righteous. Living virtuously isn't what changes you. Living virtuously is a, is a reaction to the goodness that God has already done. God, you're so good. Oh, I give you every part of me. I'm going to walk in courage today because I know you're with me. I don't have to be scared of that. Today, I'm going to look ahead. I'm going to, I'm going to use wisdom in my actions today. Because I know you've given me the mind of Christ. I, I, I can do that, Lord. I'm going to say no. I'm going to, be, I'm going to abstain from these things that would want me to be just like everyone else. I'm going to abstain. Why? Because it's the good and right way. What is good and righteous in your sight. to be gaining knowledge in order to transform or to be transformed for God to change you? Yeah, so I think that that's where discernment comes in, which he says here, right? That by testing you may discern what is the will of God. So essentially he's kind of saying you'll be put in spots to discern. And in those moments, because he's already given you wisdom and courage and all of those things, it's then your call to then participate in that, to say, I'm going to walk in wisdom here. Use discernment. What is the good and right step to make here? So there is faults that we'll make. We'll go, I think I should do this. And then we're like, that was a bad idea. 
And that's where repentance comes in. And it's wonderful. Still grace, right? But I think that part of it is, and that's why I told the story that I did um, about my time at work was that I didn't know what was good and right. Like I wasn't making those decisions going, this is the good and right thing to do and I'm going to do it. I was just naturally making decisions because I was the Lord's very purely at that point. So I knew what was, I had some discernment in me that I wasn't even consciously making choices about it. Like, I honestly think if I had thought about it, I probably would have chosen not to live with Sarah, but I didn't make a conscious choice about that. We were both moving to the city. We never even considered it. It just wasn't even in our head. That wasn't because I was so righteous. It was because I was just the Lord's and it was just coming out of me purely. That makes sense. So it wasn't necessarily about having the knowledge to make the right choice yet. It was just a response of like innocence in some way. Does that make sense? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I just think that there is, what I mean by that is that I don't think that's the norm is this like the innocent, like good choice or whatever. I just mean it can happen that way Mm -hmm. where we're not, we don't necessarily have knowledge of what right and wrong is in this circumstance, Mm -hmm. but we're the Lord's and we're discerning and we're seeking his will. And we just do what's right, not knowing that that's necessarily what we've done. It's more of an innocent choice. Does that make sense? That's actually the reason that they would say that most people would say when teaching virtues, you should start with wisdom and end with temperance is because temperance is really connected to self-control, right? Restraint and wisdom being like base of knowledge. And so that's actually what they, they talk about how do that. And then your actions are justice encouraged. Like that's how you act out these virtues kind of idea. So it's sandwiches the two. It's a really on that text. Yeah. Yeah, very much so. So in kind of bringing this to a close, We're going to go into the rest of these classes moving forward, not all of our classes, but when we start to break things down in more detail, the reason we're doing that is to give you another example of here's a major area that all of us in some way are interacting with. Even if we don't actually have to live it out specifically, we're interacting with this area. In order to interact with this area, we want to do it virtuously and we want to do it in such a way that we can then offer it up to the Lord as worship. And so this was kind of a, uh, it's meant to be kind of a quick, like injection into everything we're going to do moving forward. So last year we talked about, um, excuse me, sorry. 
I lost it. I don't even know what I was going to say there. I have no idea where I was going. That was very weird. Maybe the Lord was shutting me down very innocently saying that was going to be stupid. Stop talking. Um, <laughs> I have no idea what I was going to say. Um, but I think that in the Romans 12 picture, for us to say, if, the, if everything that we've been learning is about foundation principles, this is that turning step. That turning step to say, okay, so we know what living virtuously is meant to look like. We know that we're called to be image bearers. We know that we're priests in the world. We know that stuff. Now it's that, it's that transition to say, okay, Lord, so I want to be able to offer all of this up as worship to you. Why do we do all that? Why do we know all of that? So that we can be good worshipers. So that we can offer everything to him, living as a living sacrifice, not presenting our bodies like some others would as a, dead unliving sacrifices similar to the idol picture that we learned earlier in the year right dead idols versus living idols we're living sacrifices like we're living idols the analogy is always with life internal life involved so the picture as we move forward is that in every aspect that we're going to learn is that we would see it as an opportunity for worship in every area of life that we're going to talk about see it as an opportunity for worship don't see it as rules and regulations. It's actually not what it's ever been intended to be. Is there like a way to live? Yes. Which means there's boundaries to that, of course. But the intention is not rules and regulations. The intention is worship. Worship of God. And how fun is that to think of every aspect of life being worship? Okay, that's actually all I got for today. So hopefully this works as kind of a, the hope is that it's kind of a slingshot class. The next week will also feel a little bit like that. It's a little bit of an overarching piece, another way in which we will live as sacrifice, a sacrificial life to the Lord. Um, but then we're going to get into some specifics. And have fun with seeing what does it look like to just worship. Worship in every one of these areas. Um, so it'll be fun. Oh, it's early. Look at me go. I actually knew it was going to be short today, but I didn't think it was going to be quite, quite that short. Any questions on this? It's not so much a question Very good. Right. Um, but I'm always starting to think about it. Just thinking about how that would be good. Um, but, but actually, the, the way we worship him with our physical bodies is no less important than the spiritual or mental yeah. interaction with God. Yeah. I'm like, oh, that's so profound. Does that look like? 
Yeah. There's certain areas where I'm aware of what they can do. Yeah, it is one of those things that I always I was actually shocked. It was no, no, maybe shocked is the wrong word, but um, thankful for is that with my charismatic upbringing, it was very much embodied. Right, it was like you were going to act out your worship, not just sing it, not just think it or feel it. Like it was your whole body was involved. Um, coming into Anglicanism, realizing that very quickly. You take any studies on why they do certain things that they do within the liturgy. Well, the reason they get you to stand or kneel or sit or or do whatever at different times is that they want you to embody your worship. They want you to actually physically do something that would embody what is meant in that moment. Um, we don't do all of that kind of leave it up to the individual person, right? Like the, they can, I always kneel at confession. Uh, it's for that reason. It's penitential. It's, um, I'm never more bare before the Lord than when I'm in repentance, right? In, in my, in my, in my heart and my mind. And so it's a, it's a recognition that while well, you're King and I've been out of line in these areas and I need to bow before the King and submit those areas to him. Um, yeah. I had an interesting experience, um, not this previous Wednesday, but the one before we went out for a band breaks in the evening. I was sitting on the Sunday and I hadn't been on team for almost two months or more. Um, and every now and then at a band practice, I was discussing with David more like, it feels like the whole thing feels like a battle. Mm. Um, and nothing engaging or wanting to carry on like part of the emotions were coming out of it. Like my emotions were all over the place. My mind was just wandering and angry and and I was aware, I was very, very aware of what was going on inside and I was engaged. Mm -hmm. And it got to like the last song they were practicing and like right near the end of it. And I just came to this realization it's like if nothing else in me is going to engage right now, I can still engage my body. Mm -hmm. And like, and then this God of peace and so much just broke in that mm -hmm. moment. And it was like, oh, oh, that was great. <laughs> but just that was, and so I was like, I've seen God's been journey with this for a while, but that was really crazy that it's like, oh, everything internal in me is just being off the walls right now. Yeah. But I can position my body and say, I am still worshiping my reward for the things he's doing. Right. And it was really, yeah, quite, it felt quite that's good. That's good. Hmm. Hmm. So is this do not be conformed to this world? Like what they form, what they see when they look at me. Does that fall into the gray area that Chinese I think so. Yeah. Yeah, I think it I think it has to because um you know, it made me think of some of the, especially around here, I never, there was no like, there's very few Hutterites and almost no Mennonites around where I grew up in Saskatchewan. Um, but here you see the Hutterites and the Mennonite groups, right? And it was actually the first group, the Mennonites were the first ones I thought of when I was reading this, is that when I was doing the study on the word, it actually is very explicit that it's, it's not saying 
it's like the word is not saying you have to now all dress the same so that the world will know you're a Christian. But at the exact same time, they're not saying that that would be bad. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, oh, okay. And that was kind of the point. Like the point was somehow in your outward man, you should be known to be who you are on the inward. But that's, but it's not spelled out any further than that. Right. So present your bodies means you actually, your physical body has to be acceptable in the presentation to the Lord. Okay. So I have to think about that. So I actually have to think about what I, what do I do with my body? How do I treat my body? How do I, right. So physical health, all those sort of things coming to mind, but it, we talked about it again. We talked about this in phase one, two, there's a lot of overlap today, I guess. Um, like we actually have to go beyond that though. Let's go beyond just what, what, how we treat our physical bodies and think about how we dress and think about how we like, what's our presentation to the world of our physicality. We have to start thinking about that in the sense of like, not, not fretting about it or fearing it, or it's not that it's being, it's discerning about it, that we're not actually just being like the rest of the world, that we haven't had that, um, that moment of just, innocently allowing the world to form us in that area that makes sense so it has to be in the box i think in that terms in that in that it's no there's no clear like do this um paul did that to the corinthians he said do this don't do this but that was to the corinthians and almost unanimously everyone would say that was not for all christians at all times he was dealing with corinthians in the court like the church in corinth because they were dealing with certain things. Don't do that, but do this. But he's telling them how to dress. I, I don't know. I just feel like Stephen ever stood up and told us all how to dress on a Sunday. Could you imagine how that would go over? Paul doesn't care. But he does care. But not like that. But he does care. But the counter to this that we hear all the time is the Lord looks at my heart. He yeah. doesn't care how I come on Sunday morning. Or right. He doesn't care. See, I, you probably won't hear me teach that. I don't think that's true. Yeah, the Lord. I yeah, I, I know. And that's what I mean. Is That's why we totally. Yeah. That's what I mean about the pulling apart the heart, mind, and, and body. Now, what those verses in the scriptures, it, God is primarily it's talking about people that are coming to God from outside. Like it's not, it's not usually talking about the people of God. God doesn't care about what you do in those areas. God always cares about everything. The people of God do in every area. It's when people come in from the outside, he goes, Oh, I accept you no matter what, what you bring. It doesn't matter what you wear. It doesn't matter. Like I'm accepting you no matter what you come with. But when you come, it will cost you everything. Then everything's on the table and it's on the table before the Lord. It's not minded. Like I don't tell people when they show up on Sunday, how, what they should wear, because I actually don't know that God has not told me that, but I, um, that's, that's what I mean about Paul not caring is that he doesn't care. Um, he doesn't care that people would hate him for it. Like Paul would absolutely be hated in our culture. Absolutely. Undoubtedly, no questions asked. We would hate Paul. 
because he would walk in and say, don't do that, do that, don't do that, don't do that, don't do that, don't do that, and you should do these things. So the epistles are. And you proceed to tell us why I'm doing Oh, you're so right. Yeah, <laughs> yes. <laughs> and that's the thing. It was, it would be, he's, he's not wrong. And so we, we're so concerned that we will tell people what to do in their Christianity. I don't know. Like, so there's a, there's a gray box. I believe that. But within the, there's still boundaries on the gray box. Like there's still a point where you've gone excessive one way or the other. I think that, and I think that part of what God is saying is that, and part of what this is saying is that you caring is part of being in the gray box. If you don't care at all, you're outside the gray box. You should have some discernment about what's good and righteous through the transforming of your mind. If, if you don't, if you won't, if you won't even allow yourself to think about these things, it's probably because you're nervous you've been conformed to the world, which is probably means you have been, right? It's those sorts of things. And it's, yeah. So I don't think it's supposed to be fearful. I think we're supposed to go into, actually, we're supposed, I think we're supposed to go into it knowing God is loving, caring, and it wants life for us. So everything should be on the table because that's what he's about. And so I guess it's then coming at it through the lens, not of an angry God, but of a father that says, oh, I'm satisfied. I yeah. love you so much. Yeah. And that actually what we then receive, like the reward for receiving is life and God himself. Yeah. And so I guess it then changes the, the way we approach it from I have to do this to I get to do this. Absolutely. It's supposed to be a response. That's why we start with the warning. Remember that he did it already. And then everything we do is as a response to it. It's a response of love. It's a, it's a, I accept that you love me. I accept that you have good things for me. So I will give everything to you. That's actually, so I don't want to be graphic for the sake of being graphic. It's just theologically true. It's actually the picture of sexual union. It's actually why it is the way it is, is this idea of an opening of oneself to receive the other is the most intimate form. That is, it's a response of love. It's, I will be completely bare and open to you as a response of, because I trust you, because you love me, because you're going to take care of me. So this will be an act of love and care and intimacy and hope and excitement and all of those good things. And that's the way we're supposed to be with the Lord. That in the most bare and intimate places, we open ourselves up to him and say, Lord, I'm here. I'm open. I know you love me. I know you're going to be safe. You're going to take care of me. You're going to do this safely. You're going to make sure that I'm okay in the midst of it. And so we receive him as the church, as his bride. We receive him in those places in that way. So it's not like, again, it's embodied <laughs> like the physical body actually portrays the message, which is just crazy. Like I love that stuff. Cause it, it just shows us once again, the physical is pointing us to the reality of everything, all of our relationship with the Lord. Yeah, it's fun. Yeah, I, uh, 
I'll, I'll end. I'll end my part with this story. I had just was thinking about it, Paul telling people what to do and them not liking it. I not trying to out him. I'm outing myself, but there's a Regina trip. And I think it was before we planted. Yeah, it was while I was still here working on staff here before we went and planted in Regina, but Steven and Todd and I went to Regina uh, on one of our trips. We went every few months to go and pray and meet with people in the city and those sorts of things before we planted there. And we were there and Todd's like, Hey guys, uh, I want to take you to, can I take you to value village? I want to get you some stuff. And we were like, they're like, sure. Great. Um, we went there and then he just drops on us once we're there. He's like, I'd like you to look for, and it was all like dress clothes. And he's like, cause I, I need you to start dressing up. And we were like, excuse me. Like, and I actually felt so affronted. I'm like, you're going to make me do what? Like, I was like, I don't understand. And he just laid it out. He just said, here's the reality. You have to wear this, this, and this moving forward. And it wasn't like stringent. Like it was like decent shoes that aren't like skate shoes that are falling apart and jeans that like not jeans with rips in them, but like actual decent pants and some, even a button, uh, a shirt that buttons up. This is before collars or anything, obviously. Um, and we were so mad. Like both of us were like, tell us what to wear. Are you kidding me? It's ridiculous. And Honestly, so much conviction immediately. And the Lord was just like, whoa. When has he ever given you a reason to think that he's not just doing that out of care and compassion and love and that he wants the best for you and all of these things? And I went, oh. And I knew immediately God was really talking about himself, but he was also talking about Todd. I had no, I had not had any moments with Todd that I should be immediately affronted like that. He had so much space. He had asked nothing of me for so long. And then finally, all he says is, I want to buy you the clothes that I would like you to wear. And I was like, you don't tell me what to wear. I was just like, this is ridiculous. And it was, it didn't last very long, thankfully. But the Lord really <clears throat> revealed my heart. And it was, it was a heart of, you don't tell me what to do. I can submit to you and then you can tell me, but if I haven't submitted to you there, you don't get to tell me what to do. And I didn't know, I guess in the area of clothing, which is so random because I, it's not actually a thing. I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I don't even care about the type of clothes. You're just not allowed to tell me that. I was so, so, so formed by the culture. I had no idea. So ever since, ever since I've asked him, I just go to him and ask him, would you like me to wear something specific? Oh, I, 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 I don't want to tell you what to wear. No, I want to know. Is there anything I should be wearing for this trip? Is there anything I should be wearing when we go to this meeting? Is there anything I want to know? Because it's submitted. I'm submitted to you as my spiritual authority. You get to tell me. I learned the lesson. <laughs> But I read Paul now and I'm like, oh, see, I'm the person that he had to say that. Like, that's, I'm the one he's addressing. Like, I'm the one that he's telling, don't do that. Addressing. <laughs> yeah, that's right. So I had to, I had to ask these questions. I had to, and I've done them really poorly, like in that moment. And I've done them better where it was like a not, not an angry, like agitated thing, but just a, oh, why would I have to do that? And ask and, and start to discern 
and allow my mind to be transformed. And in my mind being transformed, I don't allow the, war, the world to conform me to their ways. It's a, it's a subtle difference, but it's a huge difference. Yeah, I think that that is creeping into society, that, that attitude of, you're not going to tell me what to wear. Oh, and You yeah. see it everywhere, though, almost the lack of respect. Yeah. So, you know, we'll have a dress, our dress code at work is business casual. Right. And some people think that that means jeans and a golf shirt. Yeah. Which is not business casual. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, it's... That's yeah, like, and that's that's what I was saying for Pauline about. I think the Lord does care what we show up to church like. I don't mean certain clothing necessarily. I think clothing it conveys something. I just think, yeah, you go to a wedding and you dress up nice, and you go to church and you won't. That conveys something. Now it can convey, and I've had people where I go, this is right and good. It can convey a sense of home. And I go, oh, you have never felt at home in the church, and now you do. And so you, you dress down when you come to church because it feels like home to you. That's beautiful. Exactly. Yeah. So then it's a good and right thing. But I would say for most people, it's not that. It's just a, I'll just wear whatever I wear. I don't, it, doesn't, it doesn't matter. And so I don't think it's not clothing that matters. That's the point. That's not the point I'm making. It's that we have, we should take into consideration. We're coming to meet with the king. Uh, so I'm like, again, you guys know, I've talked about this a lot, like charismatic kid to the core revival stuff. My whole life, that's all it's ever been. I would love if we were full on highest level vestments. I would love it. And the reason I'd love it is not because I love vestments. I hate them. They're hot. They're heavy. Like there's, not, like there's so many things I don't like about them. The reason I love it is because it says something about worship. I see someone in vestments and I go, oh, you dressed for the king. It's not for me that you dress like that. It's for him you dress like that. I like that. You got dressed up for him. So we don't do that here and I don't think we need to do that here. It's not, it's not a sense of need. It's not like I'm saying that because we should change it. I don't mean it like that. I just mean I love that stuff because I've met enough. What's that? The intentionality behind. Yes what they're portraying or not portraying. Like I had a friend um, in, in Regina, he was an Anglican priest and they did like more high church Anglicanism. And he walked me through his process. He spent like an hour and a half in prayer while he put his vestments on before he would come out for service every Sunday. Every vestment had prayers that went with it. And he sat in silence after every prayer just meditating on the Lord. It was so intentional. Like for him, it wasn't a show. He did it away from everyone else. No one knew that he did it. I just asked. So he shared with me. There was no, there was no show. There was no, like even his vestments, though there was a lot of them. It wasn't like they weren't showy and flashy. Like it wasn't like that. It was just, I, I love the Lord. And that was what he kept saying. He's just like, I just love the Lord. I want to worship him in everything. I'm going to like, that's what he said. He's like, I'm going to get dressed out for him. It's like, that is so cool. I love that. So even those things, I'm like, oh, I think there's some intentionality. Like the worshipers in the Old Testament, they weren't allowed to play unless they were excellent. 
there's stuff about that in the Old Testament. You had to be excellent if you were allowed, if you were going to lead Israel in worship. You had to be. Now, if you put any, if Dave put any sort of like, you have to be at this level in order to be able to play, which he has some of that, but if he went up a level, how many people would be mad? So many would be mad. But the Old Testament's clear. Well, if you're not excellent, you shouldn't be playing. It's worship of the Lord. Of course we have to be excellent. You see it almost in Jesus. You see it very clearly when, when he is instructing the Exodus about the construction of the tabernacle. Yeah. And he says, and I have named these people. Yeah. And I have inspired them with skill and with ability in metalworking, yeah. linen, and purple, yeah. thread, and scarlet thread. And yeah. And like engraving and etching and carving. And like, like I've inspired them with excellence in craftsmanship. Yeah. It, it's, it is, yeah, it is, it is very important that we take those things seriously and the bless the Lord. He's got so much grace for us, right? Like where we get it wrong and we don't do it right. And he's got so much grace for us, but, but it doesn't mean that there isn't more. It doesn't mean there isn't more for us to be able to step into. And so I don't know I just think those things are, yeah, the intention. Like I was, I was won over into historic church because of their worship. I was just like, this is everything I've ever wanted. I was like, all I want to do is worship the Lord, and this is like your whole life is based on worship. I was just like, I was fascinated by it. A Lutheran once told me, Lutheran minister, he expressed how he was the difference between Lutheranism and Anglicanism. I couldn't have told him. I was like, some doctrinal differences, and he's like, sort of, not many. And I was like, yeah, that's true. Not many. What is the difference? Is it location? And he's like, well, yeah, sort of. He's like, no, you guys are connected through your worship. It's your prayer book. Your worship connects you. For us, it's all doctrine. So in the Lutheran church, you can do worship however you want. It doesn't really matter as long as your doctrine is proper. In the Anglican church, of course, doctrine matters. It doesn't, it's not, it doesn't matter. But your worship has to be right. I was like, oh, that's why I love it. Because it's about worshiping the Lord. It's the core of who we are. It's like, yes, that is exactly, that's so makes, that makes so much sense to me. So anyways, that's aside, another aside. But, but it's, it's fascinating when we take all that we just talked about with worship and then we apply it to everyday life. Right? That sort of intentionality that we think is so beautiful and then say, oh yeah, and then we get to do that at the workplace. We get to do that at home. We get to do that, right? And we start applying it. And it doesn't have to be all at the same time, but it's a step at a time. So where's the first thing that pops up for you? Ah, it's really, it's really home life or it's really workplace. All right, then hear that. Listen to the Lord in that. That's the Lord's discernment. He's now, he is transforming your mind for worship in that place. So what would that look like? Some, somehow, some way, it means set apartness. It'll look different. It's a good thing. I can't wait for the day. It happens once in a while, but I can't wait for the day that I hear about a whole bunch of people in our church that are known for being great workers. I'm so sick and tired of not hearing about hardworking Christians or hearing about not hardworking Christians. I'm tired of it. I'm just like, 
No, we should be the ones out there going, yes, we will give everything. Not excessive, but rightly. Yeah, let's do it. Let's get all in. I just, I'm so excited for that. I know it's going to come. It's going to happen. But it's like, it's, it's anything, right? It's, if we were just known as our homes are peaceful, loving, caring, hospitable places all over the city. Oh, man, can't wait for the day. It means we've caught this. When we're those sorts of workers, it means we've caught this. So, I think it was 20 minutes ago I said I was done. <laughs> it's okay, none of us have moved yet either, so. <laughs> That's fair. <laughs> That's fair. Well, Thank just you guys. An, just as an FYI, the only thing that Dan has damaged purposefully was a box. <laughs> <laughs> good to know. I was really going to talk to you. Yeah. <laughs> he was pretty angry. But yeah, I can. Yes. And then I'd say, Dan, go to lunch. <laughs> That's awesome. There is uh the muttering just never stops. <laughs> it's probably true. Well it is. It's uh where we had I for a little while. I worked there for about six months and then they put me in charge of all their stock, which I was like 19, and all of a sudden charge of all their stock. I'm like, what? I'm going to get back here. And, but what I learned very quickly was that meant I had a lot of fun that I could have with all the boxes. Because we're talking, I don't know, there's probably 300 huge boxes every day that I was going through, right? And unloading everything, getting it out on the floor, and then I had to do something with these boxes. And so we would turn it into like wrestling matches. We were throwing people like on the top of the shelves on these this huge pile of boxes. It's a good way of getting all that frustration out without having to angrily go after it. You could just have fun with it. Yeah. <laughs> That's a good thing. <laughs> you guys are both coming? Yeah. Yes, indeed. Josie just texted me and she's also going to be there. She's very sorry she missed class, but okay. So is there a